Um, today we're covering 16 verses, and it is a lot to read. Um, and so um, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I won't make any of you, I promise. Um, it's going to feel a lot like last week in that um, uh, each one of these sections, like there's pretty much three sections in this larger passage. Each one of them could have been its own sermon. However, what we want to do is take uh, the whole, the thing as a whole and look at what is the theme that is going on? What is Jesus saying the major point that he's driving through all three of these examples? So uh, Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 19 and read yes all the way to verse 34 and um, I will do my best, okay? Let's read this together. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is it? Um, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any one of you add a, one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe why, uh, how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't label or ugh, labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not was adorned uh, like one of these. Um, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry, saying what we eat, what we will drink, what will we wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, God, and we trust um, that, God, you are in our midst and have been in our midst and will continue to be, Father. We trust um, today that as we've opened up your word, God, that you would speak today, God, and let it not be me speaking uh, from any kind of wisdom uh, or, or knowledge that I have, but God, that it be uh, coming from your word and God, what you intended 2000 years ago to say through Jesus to his disciples and what you intend to say today through us and uh, to us in 21st century. Father, we love you and we lay all this at your feet. We ask you to teach us to know you and to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, some pastors uh, choose to preach what we think of as topical sermon series, right? And so, what that is, is um, uh, we take the whole Bible, uh, and for a four-week, six-week, eight-week series, uh, we preach on, uh, uh, what we preach on? Marriage, right? And so, we take the whole Bible, and we preach for four to six weeks on marriage, uh, we can do other things. And, and what this allows pastors to do is to tailor the message's content for exactly what the church needs at the time, right? If there's some things going on in the life of the church, the pastor can preach a sermon series on that. Um, this is a method of a lot of pastors choose specifically for that reason. Uh, it is not the way I like to preach. 
Um, I don't like to. Uh, I don't like to do it, and there's a whole list of reasons why that you could talk to me. But I like to settle into a certain part of the Bible, whether it's a book of the Bible or a part of a book like we're doing right now, and just move through it and let the text speak for itself. Um, every Sunday, it, it may change, um, you know, depending on the topic, what's going on, what the text is saying. It can be strange enough um, because you have, when you're doing it this way, you have to preach things that you wouldn't normally preach a series on. <laughs> um, take, for example, a few weeks ago when we had to preach on divorce. Not something that I would just randomly choose. It's something I'm really excited about preaching on. But it was something that was in the text and we touched on it, okay, and we preached through it. And so this is what God has laid on me, the way that God has laid, uh, laid on my heart to preach. And my fear when I, when I, when I committed to do this as a pastor was that, that we might miss out on some of those very contextualized sermons, right? Like what's going on in the life of our, fam- our church family and what's the exact message that they need to hear? Um, and then God does what he did today, right? <laughs> uh, back in the summer, I laid out a 12-week mega series um, through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I knew God wanted me to preach on the Sermon on the Mount, and I knew if I went more than 12 weeks, y'all would get tired of it. So those are my only two stipulations, okay? Sermon on the Mount, 12 weeks. And so uh, I knew that. I didn't know why, but here we are 10 weeks into this sucker, and I didn't pay attention that this passage of Scripture would be falling the week after a crazy hot mess of a political garbage cycle election. Right? Can we all just admit it's been nuts and it's still not over? All right? We, we ain't through with it yet. Uh, we may have a lot of lawsuits and stuff going on, court battles. We don't know yet, okay? Um, I'm just hoping by January that we know who's supposed to be in the White House. That's, my, that's, my, that's nothing to do with the Bible. But anyway, um, I just hope we can figure it out, okay? And we know that we know that we know. Here's what I, here's, here, so here's what God has done, Right? Here we are speaking about worry on November 8th, right? God is big enough to handle this, right? We've given God this. I've given God this ability to tell me what to preach, and here he has done it again. I'm so excited today to be able to share with you about this because I believe some of you will leave encouraged, and uh, all of us will leave challenged. Um, And so I hope that uh, there's encouragement with the challenge as well and that you can speak to me when you leave and you're not mad. Okay, that's my hope. Some of you have been here the first service, you know why. Okay, here we go. Three parts of the body that Jesus focuses his teaching on at this point. Okay, he shows his disciples how these three parts of the body will impact their faith and their walk with God. If you're a note taker, hopefully you got a note sheet when you came in. Um, But there are three points. The first is this, the heart. Point number one, the heart, right? Um, The heart. This Jesus, what Jesus shows us here in verses 19 through 21 is that what we value. Did y'all ha- give, give handouts when y'all come in? Did anybody get a handout when you came in? Okay, some of y'all do. Okay. Just make sure. Make sure. Um, what we value is important. Okay, so I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus begins this look at trust. Today we're talking about how to trust. Uh, Last week was how to worship. This week, how to trust. He begins in a very familiar place. If you've been with us for the last nine weeks, you know that there's the, the theme of the kingdom is the heart. 
Right? God is after the heart. It is the heart of God that, that is the heart of man that God has transformed that allows us to take part in the kingdom of God here on earth. That's been the main theme of the whole sermon on the mount to this point. And every single week, we've talked, last month especially, we talked about how sin is not something just that we do with our hands, right? Sin is something that begins in the heart. Uh, we spent a whole month talking about that. And then last week, we started talking about how worship uh, doesn't just begin. It isn't with our actions. It's in our heart. And so um, today, we're just continuing that. The very first thing that Jesus says is he talks about the heart. Um, all three of these examples we're going to look at today uh, have a this or that style teaching. Jesus says, don't do this, do this, right? Um, and so the first thing he says in this one is stop storing up a particular type of treasure. What was, tell me, how did he describe that type of treasure that we're supposed to avoid? Earthly, right? Earthly. Don't store up earthly. And then he tells you why. Why? Because it's temporary, right? He says, don't store up earthly treasures because it's temporary. He says, instead, go for what type of treasure? heavenly because it's not temporary right and so see jesus he's such a good teacher opposites it's very good it's very good okay um so let's talk about what that means earthly treasures could be summarized as stuff right um earthly treasures in one big lump category are the things that your kids are going to have to deal with when you die right all the stuff that's in your attic that you won't throw away or the cars that are in your driveway that you refuse to just let die Right, like whatever it is for you, like that's the stuff. That's stuff. Okay, it can be uh, earthly possessions, it can be money, it can be um, house, cars, boats, whatever. Okay, but what is meant by heavenly treasure? This is a little bit. This is a little bit harder for us to think about. Jesus doesn't tell his readers or his listeners what. Uh, exactly he means however because we've been reading the bible not just looking here and then skipping a whole bunch and looking here and then skipping a whole bunch and looking here we've been moving verse by verse and section by section we know what jesus is talking about last week we talked about how to worship and as part and jesus showed us that he challenged his disciples to worship humbly not for their own glory but for the glory of god right what we didn't get to talk about was the was what happens when they do that if you look back just a little bit, and it's not going to be on the screen, but just a little bit back in chapter 6, Jesus says that when you do these things, when uh, you give and you pray and you fast in secret for the glory of God, your, the heavenly Father rewards you in secret. And so Jesus has just gotten finished. Let's not lose sight of that. I know it was last week and some of you guys weren't here, but... Last week, and just now, Jesus finished talking about heavenly rewards, and now he's talking about heavenly treasure. That's not a coincidence, right? Like, we can all agree that Jesus probably isn't talking about two different things. He just said heavenly treasure, a heavenly reward, and now he's talking about heavenly treasure. It's not a coincidence. In my opinion, Jesus is, I believe, most definitely speaking about heavenly treasure as the spiritual benefits that we receive when we worship and honor God's name as holy above all else, when we're obedient to him through acts of worship and, and evangelism and discipleship, right? Namely, that's a close and personal relationship with the God of all creation and the opportunity to see others trust in him as well. That's what heavenly treasure is. And so Jesus says, stop hoarding the earthly treasures 
Stop hoarding earthly things and start hoarding heavenly ones. See, hoarding's not bad. Some of y'all, y'all hoarders. Are you, anybody? No, you're not going to admit you're a hoarder. Um, but some of you, your kids want to tell you or your, your cousins want to tell you or your spouse wants to tell you. Um, Kelly would tell you that I can hoard things too. My garage is a little messy, okay? But we, we, can, we can hoard. We, we, Jesus says it's not wrong to hoard, but we want to hoard the right things, right? That's what he says. Don't hoard the earthly things. Hoard the heavenly ones. Hold on to those. And why is this important? This is what's, man, this verse right here scares me to death. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says that what you value greatly affects who you are. What you value greatly affects who you are. Now, there's an interactive part on your handout. Interactive, right? There should be a line that's on your handout, and on one side it says, on earth, and the other, li- other side of the line, it says in heaven. And so the question I have for you now, and even if you don't have an outline, think about it. Are you, in your own heart, are you val- what are you valuing most? Are you valuing things on earth, or eva- are you valuing things in heaven? Do you value stuff? Do you value things that can be purchased? Are you valuing things that have no eternal significance whatsoever? Where your treasure is, what you value, is where your heart is. Okay, now let me get real for a second. Parents, okay, I'm just going to speak to parents, but this could go a hundred different ways. What do you show your kids that you value? What do they hear you talk about most? What do you talk to them about the most? Is it grades? Is it friends, popularity, fitting in, not being a weirdo, whatever? Is it sports? Is it athletic ability? Right? Is it you better go to college? <laughs> what is it for you? Because that will, your kids, you are showing your kids what you value. And Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What you value is exactly where your heart is. None of these things are bad, but when they are valued, instead of the heavenly things of obedience to God, they reveal a truth about our heart that affects our usefulness in the kingdom. So when you and I, when our values are off, when we're valuing the wrong things, we become less effective for the kingdom of God here on earth. Jesus says... Stop. It's simple. Stop valuing the wrong things. Start valuing the right things. Stop. That's what Jesus said. All right. Jesus talks about the heart, but then he talks about the second thing he talks about are the eyes. The eyes. And this is this is a this is a fun one. How we view money is literally what Jesus is talking about. So the first one he was talking about, what we value affects who we are. Now he says how we view money affects who we are. It it reveals our spirituality. So look at verse 22 through 24. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, 
or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You go into a file on my old computer and look at the folder called Messages in the folder called Salem Springs. That was the first church I served in as a youth pastor. And I promise you there is a sermon or a message for teenagers on these verses that needs to be burned and thrown away. Okay. Because I've always looked at these verses in their own little context, right? Put your blinders on and only look at verses 22 and 23. What does it appear Jesus is talking about? The eyes, the lamp of the body. If your eyes healthy, your whole body will be full of light. I'm pretty sure I preached that message to my teenagers and said, the things that you look at matter and they affect you, right? When you're, if you're watching movies that you shouldn't watch, that affects who you are inside. Good message, it's in the Bible, but it's not here, okay? When we talk about the eye here, it, it gets confusing, but I'm going to help you with this today because I've always looked at this wrong until I started studying. And the reason why we know it's not about the things we look at, what did Jesus just talk about? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he's talked about um, that valuing the right treasures. And then he says this thing about the eye. And then he says no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. He's talking about treasures, then he's talking about money. And then in the middle is a thing about movies. That doesn't make sense. Jesus is not a random teacher. And so as I got to studying this, man, this was so helpful for me to understand. Um, Jesus is speaking in terms that they can understand. He's speaking about the eyes in a weird first century kind of way, okay? Um, he says that if your eye is good, then the whole body will be full of light. Like that sounds like some sort of treatment for something, right? That your whole body, would be, that's not a good thing really, we typically think about. If your whole body's full of light, that means you're at a doctor's office and you just got bad news, right? Like that's not something that, we would, that would be good. And so G, what Jesus uh, is speaking to a first century group that believed that our bodies needed light and they believed that the eye was the lamp of the body and that that light would fill our body and help us just like food and just like all these other things would. And so to have a healthy eye was like, uh, you know, it would... It, light would enter your body and you could be healthy. And a bad eye, on the other hand, would allow you to, for no light to come in and you would be dark inside and you would die, I guess. So Jesus knows that that's not the case, right? Jesus knows that, that, our, that that's not how the eye works. He, know, he knows about rods and cones. You don't know about rods and cones, right? Rods and cones are these things on the back of the, on the, eye, the, back of the eye or the front of the eye. I can't remember. I think it bounces off and then hits... I don't know. Somebody who's younger than me and a lot closer to that can tell me. But the, the, Jesus knew how the eye really works, and we understand it, but Jesus is speaking in terms that they can understand. He's not trying to give an anatomy lesson. He's trying to prove a point. And the, he gives two scenarios. A healthy eye allows light in the body, and a bad eye is only darkness. Now, as I've already said, it can kind of seem out of place, but what I found when I studied, and you can find this too, it takes buying a $20 commentary online, and, and you can understand these things, but I found that Jesus is doing a play on words that we can miss because we don't speak Greek. Maybe you do. I don't. Um, I pay the $20 commentary book instead of learning Greek because it's cheaper, okay? But you can learn Greek if you want. The Bible was not originally written in English. Jesus did not speak English. It's been translated into English the best that we can, but sometimes things get lost. Uh, Kathy, when you're translating from Spanish into English, do things get lost sometimes because of translation? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just talked about that? 
that's like there's some idioms and certain things that are exist in one language that just don't translate into another. And that's what's going on here. So a bad eye, the words that got translated a bad eye or an eye that is bad could really be thought of more as an evil eye. It's not a, a, an effective bad eye or a, de- a defective eye. It's an evil eye. It speaks of morality more often than it speaks of just a, 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 crook, a bad eye. This is a phrase that's used to describe someone in other places in the Bible who is stingy or jealous. Matthew 20, verse 15 is a, is a situation. Uh, this is Matthew 20, 15. You want to turn there? But don't I have the right to do, with, do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? The word jealous that gets, that gets translated jealous right there is the words bad eye. Right? Or do you have a bad eye, an evil eye, because I'm generous? So Jesus is saying that when a person is stingy, go back to our, our version, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says that when a person is stingy, it reveals something about what's going on inside. When a person is stingy, jealous, uh, not giving freely, their heart is darkness. Now, before you think I'm making this stuff up and I look that up on a sketchy website, um, let me also show you that right above where it talks about the bad eye, it speaks of a good eye or a healthy eye. Guess what the word healthy can also be translated as? Generous. So doesn't it make sense that Jesus is probably not speaking of physical eyes being good or bad. He's speaking in language that his first century disciples would have understood. They would have, they would have got this, that Jesus is doing a little play on words here. He's saying To have a generous eye reveals that there is light inside. And to be stingy with what we have is to reveal something completely different. Jesus is calling his disciples to lay aside the natural tendency towards stinginess and take on generosity. It's why he follows this statement up with, no one can serve two masters since he'll either hate one or love the other, devoted one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, look, your eye matters. Don't, don't be stingy. Instead, be generous because you cannot serve both God and money. You can't seek to be generous like God has called you to if you're caught up in your stinginess, if you're just trying to keep what you have and store it up. It's all fitting together with what Jesus has been saying. You can either work for the Lord or you can work for money. You can either value earthly treasures or you can value heavenly ones. This is the point Jesus is saying. So there's another line on your outline. Stinginess and generosity. Where are you? Honest. Put you a dot. On that line on your outline, just to, as, a, as a real moment before the Lord of what's going on in your heart. Then Jesus gives one more example, which is where I've been trying to get because this is what God's really laid on my heart today and that is number three the mind Jesus says the mind plays in here and he says that why we worry matters the things that we worry about matter to our spiritual life he says this in verse 25 therefore I tell you don't worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body what you will wear isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing right Therefore, is what it starts with. That's an important word. Jesus has just said, you can't serve both God and money. And then he says, therefore, 
don't worry about your life and about your body. Two different categories that Jesus speaks of. The body or the life speaks of, of uh, survival, right? The food and the drink that we need. The body represents the clothing and, and the way that we're viewed by those around us. Jesus uses two animal stories like a good kid's worker, you know, puts it in terms we can understand. Jesus right now, he, he's on a mountainside or a hillside and he's looking out and there's no doubt wildflowers on the ground and there's birds in the sky. And Jesus uses them as examples to teach, to teach about, survive, uh, about the questions of life. First off, he says, does God love the birds more than you? It's a rhetorical question. Because they knew the answer was no. God had created man in his own image. He created uh, man to be like uh, God in certain ways, to, to be his image bearer on the earth. He did not make birds with that. And he says, Here, that's important because birds don't have fridges. They don't have refrigerators. They don't have cabinets to store food in. They get up every morning and they depend on the Lord to provide them food. That's what birds do. Which, if you've been reading along with us, that should sound familiar. Uh, back in Matthew chapter 6, earlier on in the Lord's Prayer. Remember the part of the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Jesus already hit on this, and he's saying that's exactly what the birds do. They get up in the... Now, it's not because they want to. They're not trusting in the Lord. They're birds. They're dumb, I guess, or smart. I don't know. But they're just reacting, right? But they're getting up, and they're depending on God to provide. And, and Jesus is making the point, God feeds them, so trust him. Stop worrying about your own survival. God is in control. And then he uses the wildflowers that are on the ground to address the worry about arguably the more frivolous part of the, which is the body, which is especially, he speaks of clothing, right? The flowers don't work hard, Jesus says. He says, does God love the flowers more than you? And the rhetorical answer would have been, of course, no. God loves us more than the wildflowers. And he said, well, how many of these wildflowers do you see sowing today? How many, how many closets do you see in the field where they keep their beautiful petals? <laughs> Again, rhetorical. The point is, Jesus says, God makes them beautiful. And if he makes wildflowers beautiful that have absolutely no purpose other than being beautiful and they're eventually going to be cut and burned and used as... <laughs> Uh, kindling in a fire how much more can we not trust God with our beauty right stop worrying about your looks and clothing Jesus says God is in control Jesus speaking to a, a group that are not wealthy and they don't have a lot of fancy clothes and Jesus says that's cool dude don't worry about it in these two cases, Jesus is saying that instead of worrying about so many things in our life, let's place our faith in God. Let's trust him. Verse 30, Jesus nails it down and proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that worry is at odds with faith. Worry is at odds with faith. Jesus says in verse 30, what does he say? Oh, you of little faith. Don't worry. Stop worrying about the stuff that doesn't matter. Oh, you of little faith. 
Jesus puts those two things at odds. And now here's what I'm not speaking about. I'm not speaking about clinical anxiety because that's a real thing, okay? If you were like me and you've never experienced clinical anxiety, then you're real quick to tell other people who are experiencing anxiety in their life that they need to get their act together and trust God. Well, I've got a wife who struggles with clinical anxiety because of a botched thyroidectomy, right? And I can tell you that if I roll over when she can't sleep at night and tell her to trust God more, I'm getting slapped. Because in that moment, believe me, she's trusting God with her everything because she knows she needs sleep. Right? And if you struggle with that, man, I do not envy you because I love my sleep and, and I, I don't like to worry. I'm a laid-back person. Both of us are. But when, when she had that surgery, and it changed my view of anxiety. It changed the way that I view what some of you are going through. It changed the way that I minister to you. I mean, yes, God can heal you of that clinical anxiety, and he can take it away. But I also would encourage you to talk to your doctor about that (laughs) because I don't believe there's not all anxiety is a spiritual thing. It's really clinical. I've seen it in my life. So don't don't play spiritual card and start showing me scripture. I'm going to show you real life, okay? Anyway, I'm not speaking about that. You need to talk to your doctor about that. What Jesus is referring to here are the things that we choose to worry about. We think on these things and we want to think on these things and we worry ourselves to death because of these things. And I couldn't, as I was thinking, I was like, okay, Heath, what's an example of something people worry about? Right? Like, I couldn't think of anything going on in the world that's that people might worry about, right? Like no health issues going on, like nation, like worldwide pandemic would be a great example if I had something like that to talk about, right? Or like political unrest, if that were going on, right? That would be a a good, you know, that would be an example we could talk about. This is all sarcasm. Um, Of course, there's tons of stuff that people are worrying about right now. And the type of worry that Jesus is addressing is perfectly characterized by the craziness that some find their minds in because a democratic president seems to have been elected. There are two types of unhealthy Christian responses I have seen to this, and I'm going to address them because God's put me here as your pastor, and I think I should. There's the physical and there's the spiritual-ish. Okay, you'll understand what I mean by that in a second. I literally heard of a guy saying, you better go get you a gun because they're going to start showing up at your house just stealing money. Y'all, if you think that the moment that everything is nailed down and that we've got a new president, that there are going to be people knocking on your door to steal what you have, you have been sold a bill of lies from the devil and you are worrying about something that probably will never come to fruition. But even if... Jesus says, don't worry. I don't know. (laughs) But if they show up, they show up. It's not about that. My trust is in Jesus. This is what he says. It's hard for me to believe that all of society is going to melt away because somebody new is in the White House. Like I said, Jesus says, even if it does, trust me. Do you really think I care more about birds and flowers? Than I do you. Have faith that God 
is in control. The other response that I've seen that I believe is unhealthy is the, is the spiritual-ish one. And that's the end times one, okay? And this is probably going to hit closer to home with some of you. But Jesus must be coming back because of what we're seeing in the world right now, in America right now. Listen, I don't have time to do this all that I want to do. But America is not the center of God's world. You need to know that. America is not the apple of God's eye. We are but a part of the world that God has created and is using to his end. And that may be hard for you to hear. But the, ap- the apple of God's eye is not the United States. I will argue biblically it is not a nation. It is a people and it is the church. You and I are a part of the apple of God's eye, not because of the country we live in, but because of the, the kingdom that we are a part of. This is what scripture tells us. And y'all, there are Christians in China who have been living in persecution and seeing terrible things that we will probably never experience and my kids will never experience. And they've been going through it for over a hundred years. But God's just been waiting for a democratic president and now he's going to come. What? Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Christians in the Middle East and Southeast Asia can't even let their neighbor know that they are a Christian because they'll be killed in their sleep. But yeah, Democrat in the White House, that's the last straw. Come on, people. We cannot buy the lie of Satan and begin to worry about stuff that's not even going to come to fruition. And even if it does, I want him to start in harvest. Right? Are we a people of hope or are we not? That's what's so frustrating. I see people say, man, this is just the end times. Golly. Like it's a bad thing. Praise God. Come get us. Let's end this, man. Let's kick the door in. Shut it down. Let's end it, baby. Start in harvest, baby. Let's go, God. This is what I'm asking. It's so confusing. We are sending a mixed signal to the world around us. And so if you were either one of these people, the one who is is worried physically for your own survival or if you're worried that God's going to come back, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you from the scriptures and I'm encouraging and challenging you to stop worrying. Trust God. To worry about these things, listen, is not holy. It is not. To be broken over sin, yes. Even the sin of others, yes. To pray for the leaders of your country and the world, yes. But to stress out and fear over your freedoms being taken away while the rest of the world doesn't even have a glimpse of the freedoms that we have. God will be honored no matter what happens. Your marching orders have not changed as a believer in Christ. No matter what political party is in charge, your God-given task is to make disciples of all nations. And there ain't an elephant or a donkey involved in it. Unless God chooses to speak through one like he did in the Old Testament. A literal donkey, not a politician, sorry. (laughs) Jesus wraps up this teaching with just the perfect two verses. He's talked about all this. Don't worry about all this stuff. He says this in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and then 
all the things that you worry about will be taken care of. What's Jesus saying? I believe Jesus is saying, this is not point number four, it's double star, bottom of your page. Kingship is the answer for worry. Kingship is the answer for worry. Jesus says to seek God's kingdom above all else. One of the commentators I read this week um, who actually did know Greek, um, he translated this verse his, uh, in kind of his own words. Rather make it your priority to find God's kingship and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. I love that. Find God's kingship. Live your life as if Jesus really is on the throne, not you and not some politician. Live your life like the God of all creation and the Savior of the world is truly in charge. Won't that look different from the way that you and I live? Resolving to live, I read this this week, that what this is talking about is to res- resolving to live under God's direction and control. He went on to say God's kingship means God's people living under God's rule. Jesus says that instead of worrying, seek God's kingship. And what will happen? All these things will be provided for you. What things? The things you worry about that you need. Will you have all you ever dreamed of? That's not what the text says. He says your worry will be taken care of. Your worry will be taken care of. God's provision, you'll begin to see God's provision in the midst of what you used to perceive as lacking. Church, I believe, as crazy as 2020 has been, that we have the opportunity, God-given opportunity, to stand as a beacon of hope in a world that is hopeless, to stand as a beacon of steadiness in a world that seems to be shaky. We can show the world right now that we really believe that God is bigger than what's going on. While some of our coworkers and neighbors are worried about politics, we can be confident. Not saying not involved, okay? I don't save the email. It's not what I'm saying. Right? Send it to Patrick. I'm what I'm saying, right? What I'm saying is to be confident in the direction Because God is really in control, not confident in politically. That's what I'm saying. All right, I'm I'm messing up now. Let me get back to my notes. We can be confident no matter what our neighbors and our coworkers and our family think because kingship is the answer for this kind of worry. Kingship. This is what God has called us to, to to place our faith in him and him alone. Take Jesus' last words to heart. Man, what a beautiful way to end this section. Let tomorrow's uncertainties stay in tomorrow. Right? Let them stay there. Don't bring them to today. Let it go. I want to ask you this. In what ways has this passage pointed out the problems in your spiritual life? There was one more line there at the bottom uh, between worry and, uh, and uh, faith. Right, that was at the bottom there. So in what ways has this passage that we've just read, the words of Christ, pointed out problems in your spiritual life? What issues have you had to face this morning because of the text that we looked at? And my question to you is what next steps do you need to take? That's, what, that's why we do this. That's what we're here for. 
We're going to sing one more song of response to the message of God's word. And it's a song that provides you an opportunity to worship. And if there's, man, it's the perfect song. (laughs) It's it. Right? This song, uh, help me, what is it? Show it. It is well. Right? It is well with my soul. If you don't know the story, the guy who penned the words just lost Every single member of his family, with the exception of like one or two, lost several children and a wife in a, in a, in a storm, in a, in a boat. And he sits down to pen the words, it is well, right? It is well with my soul. No matter what happens tomorrow, it is well. No matter what politically happens in the future, it is well with my soul. No matter if somebody does show up at my house wanting my money tomorrow, it is well with my soul. This is an opportunity for you to worship God through song. It's a time for you to spend time in prayer of repentance and thankfulness. It's a time for you to chew on next steps or even to talk to one of our decision counselors who will be by the back door about what God is doing in your life. You can speak with us about church membership. We had another family join this morning, y'all. God's God's moving and he's drawing people here to be a part of what God's doing, and I'm excited about it. We want to talk to you about being baptized. We want to talk to you about accepting Christ and any other decision, but i got to ask you this question. Are you living under the kingship of Jesus? Are you living as if he truly is your king? Because to do this, you have to first come to, res- to, the, to believe that Jesus is the only answer for your sin. You can't overcome sin on your own. You need it to be taken away by someone much stronger than you. But in that decision, to have your sin taken away is the surrendering of everything you have to everything that Jesus is. If you'd like to talk with us, um, somebody, about kingship today and how you can trust in Jesus as your Savior and beginning this journey, um, we're going to have counselors again by the back door. I'll be down front to talk with you as well. Um, but you just you respond as God leads during the song. It just may be through singing or praying right where you are, but you can respond however God leads. I'm going to say a word of prayer. After I pray, we'll all stand, and you do what God leads you to do. Father, we trust, um, God, that as we've opened your word and we've, I've spoken from it, God, that I haven't done anything. God, that your spirit did not lead me to say or do. And so, Father, I pray uh, for this time, God, that, that you would, as your word has been opened, God, that your people would respond. Um, God, some to repentance. God, some to, uh, to, uh, to next steps of obedience this week. God, help us to, to, give us, to give you the things that we value. God, may we value the things of heaven. God, help us to be generous with our money and not stingy. And God, help us to have faith and not worry. God, we trust that today has been a day that honors you. And we want to ask you to honor yourself in this last time by using us for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray.